Well, hello there, folks. It's Roger from uh, There Be Giants here to host another fantastic episode of Giant Talk. And I'm especially uh, chuffed today because I've got somebody joining me who I uh, feel a bit of a fanboy of, actually. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to have with me today Jonathan Hensley, who is CEO of Emerge Interactive over in uh, California. And is it uh, your whereabouts? It's north, north of San Francisco, isn't it? You're Portland? So actually, I'm uh, based in Portland, Oregon, which is just yeah. north of, of San Francisco. But I'm actually in San Francisco today. So Well, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So you're where it's... Uh, where a lot of this happens first, <laughs> a lot of this is pioneered. So, yeah, so great to have you with us, uh, Jonathan. As I as I said, you know, you you came uh, up on my radar because you'd written a book called Alignment, which is something that's very uh, uh, central to the work that we do here, and is always a really important benefit that when clients, you know, want to put OKRs in place. That they they want to they, they they want to actually realize they want to build they want to strengthen the alignment in the organization. So I'm sure we'll you know take a quite a deep dive into that in a minute. But just before we do, um, tell us a bit about you know your, uh, what you've done, what's led you to where you are now, and a bit about a uh, bit about your background. You know, I've I've been in product for over two decades now, and the origination of, of my journey into this space really came from uh, early years of growing up uh, in Silicon Valley. And I had a unique opportunity where I had um, my family, I have a, a mother who has a, who's a psychologist. Right. And so I grew up around trying to understand uh, and or discussions with my family about, you know, how do people think? Why do they yeah. behave the way that they do? And this informed this incredible passion for continuous learning and trying to understand why we make and do the things that we do. And being in Silicon Valley, then uh, immersed around technology, you know, trying to look at, you know, well, why do we use technology the way that we do? How can we use technology to essentially better our lives and change the way that we work? Uh, and this intersection of technology and, and human behavior has driven uh, mm -hmm. my passion for the last, uh, you know, 20 plus years into understanding how can we create great products and build things that people love to use and really make a difference uh, in the businesses that are building them. Right. Fantastic. So you had a, a, a pretty, pretty great foundation with your, with your mother and the, the, the psychologist sort of angle on things. I guess that kind of opened your eyes from an early age, you know, kind of really starting to think about, you know, like you say, what people say and what people do, why they do it, so on and so forth. So that, that obviously was the spark, uh, it sounds like, for this. Uh, it was immensely... Uh powerful and profound mm. for me to, to have that experience. And I think, you know, it was a time where I remember as, as even as a small kid, I would go into these uh, computer meetup groups uh, and get parts from people working at Hewlett Packard and people right. down in Cupertino building, you know, Apple computers. And, you know, this is, you know, back in the eighties and, yeah. uh, and, and nineties. And, being able to like take these things and start to 
take them apart, rebuild them, understand how they work. And, you know, and I really started on, on the hardware and software engineering side of things. And then eventually, you know, became enthralled with, you know, how we actually build mm. software, which then, well, how do we, how do we create organizations that can build great software? And that led me into this passion um, of understanding how do you build really effective organizations and more importantly how do you build teams that empower people mm -hmm. to build these incredible things and so that has been um the absolute foundation that, that all of my work has been based on so was i think we're starting to get a sense of your passion um but when somebody writes a book it's usually because they're fired up about something <laughs> and so i'm curious you know in your own words what would you say you know got you fired up. So what really was the catalyst for all of that is, you know, I'd been in technology for a long time and I came across the statistic that, you know, about 90% of products either fail or underperforming expectations. Yeah. And when I thought about the amount of energy and time that's going into developing these products and services, I was like, that's just a staggering rate of mm. failure. And why does that failure happen? What is the underpinnings? What are the root causes for that kind of failure? And so I decided to start researching and interviewing folks um, all over the world about understanding failure. And ironically, through that process, what happened is, is I started to meet these individuals who hadn't just failed, but they'd also had incredible successes and not mm -hmm. just once, but again and again and again. And I wanted to understand how are these individuals building teams that are beating these odds consistently? And there was clearly something very unique and extremely powerful taking place that was not very well understood. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about failure, the, the root cause was often um, pointed at is lack of market fit. And that's a very broad umbrella reason for a lot of yeah. smaller things that are happening behind the scenes that are actually leading to that lack of market fit. And so on the other side of that, those that were succeeding weren't just finding market fit, but they were all those things that were happening behind the scenes were being addressed in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And what that resulted in is this very, very clear picture that all these leaders are doing one thing, uh, you know, equally to drive success. And that is they have a tremendous focus on alignment. And so after I, that realization, um, I set out to write a book and really peel back the layers and understanding what is alignment, how do we need to think about it as leaders and how do we also need to think about it from the product team level so we have a bridge to bring mm. leadership in these teams together to more effectively solve problems and deliver better outcomes? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that it, it's kind of curiosity and asking the question, well, some are getting it right, some are getting market fit right. And, you know, so what is it that they're doing that's different to those that are struggling and it, and I, I can I can relate to that because I asked a similar question about a different aspect of organizational performance um, back in it was about 2015 2016 I didn't write a book but I did write a paper off the back of it and that led to a complete um, you know gear change for the business um, 
But yeah, I mean, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. But um, yeah, so just kind of to build on that, your what would you say your mission is now? Now that you've written the book, you've obviously done a huge amount of research. Your thinking, I imagine, has moved on significantly in the field of alignment. Um, so what mission are you on now then? You know, today, really, <laughs> my mission is to actually build better product leaders, you know, and really help them understand how alignment is at the foundation and the heart of their success. And by their success, I really mean that their role in creating the environment necessary for a team to deliver great products and services. Right. And I think it's an opportunity not just to deliver better products, but to build better product cultures inside mm. of organizations so that they can really tap into the incredible talent that uh, makes up their, their organizations. I mean, I've never met a CEO of a company that doesn't say their people are their greatest asset. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's pretty important that we empower these people to do the things that they're capable of. And that requires us to build a, a culture that can do that. And uh, I think it's, it's not complicated, but it's also not easy work to be done. It's hard to build that type of culture. And so I think this is one of the most critical elements of our time, especially when there are, are so many constraints happening in the world for people mm -hmm. and there's so much opportunity for innovation. Alignment is one of the most essential tools that we can have in our kit in order to really uh, move the needle and move our organizations forward. Yeah, I guess, you know, alignment is the outcome of really good leadership. And you could, you could argue, I suppose, because it's one thing having good leadership, but then where's the evidence of that? All right. Yes, the results one would hope are there, but there's, <laughs> there's something in between, isn't there? Um, and, and, and thinking about it as well, you know, you talk about, you know, product, uh, product leaders, product managers being able to, you know, create the right environments in which their teams can, you know, absolutely, you know, be there, be at their best. So for me, I think there's, there's more than just, you know, those, those product managers need to be more than just experts at agile and experts at, you know, running, you know, creating roadmaps and so on and so forth. They, they have to have a degree of leadership. They have to have really good coordination skills. They have to be multi-talented. You know, you talk about culture. They need to have a good sense of culture, how to build it. They also need to have a good handle on, and this may sound a bit strange saying this, but technology, and I mean technology in the sense that can enable uh, their teams to you know, to, to, to do their jobs really well. Um, so it, it's, it's multifaceted now, isn't it? They have to be experts in, in so many different areas to be able to create this right environment. It, it's an incredible task that we ask of product managers, in my mm. opinion. And it's why when you see a fantastic product manager, they stand out so much uh, because of that we ask so much of them and somebody who has those capabilities those competency um, as a product uh, manager as a, as a product leader um, it's incredible i mean some of these areas like you talk about like being able to understand agile and scrum or being able to understand you know developing roadmap those those are important things 
but some of the biggest challenges that we we place on on product uh, you know managers and their teams is you have to communicate up through the organization down through the organization and cross functionally mm. all at the same time mm. you know you you have to work uh, in an environment where you're asked to be in some cases uh, the famous uh, line around you know product managers are the CEO of the product um, so you have all of the responsibility as uh, Dan Olson likes to say, um, but n- not necessarily any of the, the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times you don't control the, the resources and, the, and the, you know, some of the financial aspects of, of your product potentially, you know, and you, so you have this incredibly intricate, complex piece and you have to have enough knowledge to not just be a great product manager, but to understand how to enable great designers how to empower and enable great engineers, how to support and collaborate with marketing for each release and major launch uh, and pushing that product out um, to your target audience. You have to become uh, an expert in analyzing how, you know, the focus in your product and the outcomes you can drive with the product create the business outcomes that, that people are looking for. And as a result, um, you're helping customers do things that otherwise mm. they could never mm. do before or are doing better in any way that they've done before. And so we, we ask all of these intricate pieces that is, is really, you know, equates in, in my mind, almost like we're asking product managers to be the conductor of a symphony yeah. and we're asking them to coordinate all of these aspects and we're asking them to do it every day while holding on to the big picture, but not losing a single detail. Yeah. And so how could anything, uh, you know, less than perfect alignment make that job possible? And so really at the end of the day, you know, this, this issue is, is so pervasive and it's so intricately complex based on the size of the organization that this quality of, of alignment is really necessary to be Mm -hmm. understood, not just at the team level and for product managers that we're trying to set up for success, but leaders today have to understand what their responsibilities are into establishing alignment and making sure that the things that they are responsible for, like the strategic vision of the company and the direction, is completed and articulated at the level that actually enables their teams. And uh, so these, yeah. all these pieces you know, become so uh, interconnected so quickly and are really uh, essential when we talk about you know, how does an organization maintain its focus and really achieve the things it's set out to, to do. I, I, I love uh, some of the, the ways that you framed it there, you know, conductor, absolutely. Uh, CEO without the power, you know, arguably that's a, that's an even, even more challenging uh, task um, to, 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 to corral and, and, and manage resource when, you know, you don't ultimately have control of it. Um, you know, that whole thing about your, <laughs> your, you, you may well be, there may well be some friction with line managers who are, who actually own the resource, which you need, um, to come in and work on your product. So I, you know, I, 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 I've worked with clients where there, there have been, you know, lots of friction and conflicts around that sort of thing. But, um, okay. So, you know, you've, you've written the book, you spent a long time researching it, um, just give us a run through on the headlines that you discovered when, you know, around what you discovered about alignment. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 
there's, I think one thing about alignment is, is really helpful is to understand unpacking the idea of alignment. Like what, what does that actually mean when we think about alignment? And so alignment, you know, it has really four dimensions to it. So the first one is individual alignment, which is really focused on understanding how your work uh, matters, the contribution mm-hmm. you make, why you're doing what you're doing, uh, and, you know, how critical your role is into making an impact. And so that that's a really um, important one. And it's really critical when you think about how do I know the importance of my work? How do I feel supported and empowered? It helps me understand why the organization is maybe setting things up in a, a specific way, because now I have context, yes. not just for myself, but yeah. where I fit inside of the team, inside of the bigger organization. And that is, is an incredibly important aspect um, for so many reasons, which um, is a whole deep conversation in itself. Yeah. The, the second one. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say it, that, that, that when we're looking at it from an individual perspective, the sense of connection and sense of purpose are just absolutely essential, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the most interesting things, uh, especially in uh, the software industry and, and industries uh, across, uh, you know, broadly speaking as well, is that, you know, we've shifted a long time ago from this old industrial model of where we command and control, you know, just focus on this one piece. You're going to put four screws here and place this bumper on the car. And that's the only thing you do. And you're going to do that a thousand times a day. Hmm. And we don't, we don't hire people for those types of work anymore. That's we, we create automation. We do other things to, to enable that. What we really look for is people to bring more of their individuality, more of mm. their problem solving skills, more of their ability to contribute. Um, you know, so if you're working, you know, on, on a product, you're expected to be helping solve problems to continuously bettering the, not just the product itself, but the way that you deliver that product, your input and your insight is invaluable. Um, and same goes for, for just about any industry. There's always this feedback mechanism where if you're in a culture that, you know, believes in continuous growth and improvement, then that feedback mechanism and that awareness is, is absolutely essential. So individual alignment becomes one of the most critical things leaders can do is to making sure that that individual uh, for every role that exists within an organization to essentially right deliver on the mission or the purpose mm-hmm. of that company uh, understands how it's connected. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, in terms of um, you know what you you know you talked about the four different aspects of alignment. What what more? Did you did you find around alignment as you kind of unpicked it? Yeah. So the second uh, big one was uh, the idea of team alignment, mm-hmm. which really deals with how do we build alignment with others and integrate our unique disciplines and experiences and perspectives to share uh, to solve a shared problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of you know basically when we focus on this idea of like you know we want to promote collaboration, we want to bring people together. We want to, you know, achieve, you know, this specific uh, objective, uh, you know, and attain these key results as we go, right? How do we actually make sure that we're all 
understanding that. And sometimes these are, you know, long-term dedicated teams, or maybe this is a team that's been brought together cross-functionally specific to, to address this, this thing. Yeah. And so how we build alignment from the establishes the foundation for that team's success, long-term or short-term, uh, uh, regardless of, of its uh, composition. Yeah, we see that a lot with OKR teams where they're, they're formed as a cross-functional team or squad or whatever you would want to call them um, to help drive forward whatever it is that's in support of that particular priority. Yeah, 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 yeah. very, very key. Uh, mm. with OKRs from our experience too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's individual and team. The third is? So the next one is organizational alignment, which really mm. deals with how does the organization uh, align its uh, strategic priorities and resources with the vision for the company. So, you know, we are always dealing with a, you know, scenario of every organization has so much opportunity and there's also a counterpoint to that, which is we also have a constrained set of resources that mm-hmm. we have to work with. So how do we align those resources and those opportunities to enable the best possible outcome? And, how, and so that's how we provide the, you know, either the tools or the services or mm-hmm. the actual team members themselves to make up these teams in, in our organization. And so making sure that we have alignment to those things and that we're also uh, ensuring that we're, you know, supporting these initiatives correctly is that third level of alignment within an organization that's extremely critical. And sometimes it's really look through a fine tooth comb of more financial management and practice than it is about enabling. And so we have to make sure we're looking at all aspects of how, you know, those resources are. Yeah. I I guess that can range from anything from organizational design through to structuring your budgets, you know, um, and everything in between. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I, I sit on the board of, of several companies and, you know, cost and efficiency is a very big topic right now. And so, you know, we do have to look at, you know, these resources, uh, you know, extremely closely and it's important and, and you have a responsibility to be uh, manage these things uh, carefully and thoughtfully. Uh, and so the idea though, that are you looking at just the, the balance sheet or are you really looking at the sum of what you're trying to achieve in the context of where resources mm-hmm. are needed? Are you understanding when you're building a product that you're making a long-term investment? Do you have a clear uh, understanding of how that investment is going to produce, you know, uh, a result in moving you forward to your intention uh, for the organization? And so I think resource management um, and making sure that's aligned to the, the intentions and the goals for the company are really critical. And it also needs to be taken into serious consideration when you think about prioritization and yeah. how many things you're asking of your organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So that's that's three. I think you said there was four. So go on. The fourth is? Absolutely. So, so the fourth one is actually market alignment, which this deals with um, understanding your customers uh, and your or your users' needs and the problem that you're solving for them, the impact of that problem and the hurdles you face. Uh, So you might also refer to this as market fit. But I think market alignment goes a little bit deeper than just market fit of a problem. 
it's really looking at where is the, in addition, the reoccurring value of, that you can create and how that will actually change the lives of, of your customers. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. That's re- that really unpacks alignment, I think, for, 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 for certainly for me, and I'm sure it does for our listeners. You know, I think um, most people, when they talk about alignment, just think, think about, you know, we've got to get everybody understanding what the priorities are so we can all be pointing in the same direction. And yes, that's part of it, but there's more to it. And I think sort of chunking it down into those four different constituent parts or, or types of alignment, whichever way you want to frame it, I think is, is, is helpful, really helpful. Um, so, okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, you've shared what you've discovered about alignment. Now, you, through your research and also through your experience, um, I'm sure you have come across a number of common mistakes or, or pitfalls or missed tricks that organizations have either made or fallen into when it comes to building alignment. So, you know, what are the, what are the things that if our listeners are looking to really build alignment, they should be, uh, it should be looking out for what are the, the warning signs perhaps that they're not quite getting it right and the things to avoid. Yeah. So there's, there's several, um, and I think there's a couple of those that I'd really like to highlight. And partly of this is because, you know, uh, as you and I were talking before we started the show today, uh, you know, I, I was at a conference yesterday. I was in another one the week before. And some of these have just been uh, pervasive themes, listening to all of these uh, hundreds of people in product uh, talk in just the last few days. And so I mm-hmm. think it, it brings a really uh, incredible emphasis to some of these key things. So one, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, I'm going to just put it out there before you can kind of get to the mistakes is you've, if ego is driving your organization, you need to have a really, really thoughtful, you know, look, hard look at yourself and how yeah. that's impacting your, your abilities. Because I think what we see is when ego is driving decision-making, and getting in the way of actually understanding or connecting with uh, customers and your audience's needs, then it's really important that um, the uh, – sorry, somebody just tried to come in. Um, (laughs) We should just say to uh, everyone that (laughs) Jonathan joins us from his hotel room in in San Francisco at the moment. (laughs) My apologies to everybody listening. uh, the housekeeper just tried to come right through the Happens door. to the best of us. <laughs> um, so uh, this emphasis, though, of the, the you know, e- ego really does have to be, you yeah. know, um, you know, checked because it, 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 it creates uh, bias. It mm. uh, removes us a level from being closer to understanding the problem and the impact of the problem we're trying to solve. And so I think, you know, first and foremost, we have to look at that. And this is not to say this is easy. This is a perfect example of why it's so hard. And ego does not have to mean, uh, you know, sometimes it's associated to, well, you know, I've got the the executive or the highest paid person in the room and they've got this, you know, big mm-hmm. ego and they're coming mm-hmm. in and they're saying it has to be this. It doesn't have to be that person. It can be anybody. 
And it's really important that we just, we just resolve that we're all people. We all have an opinion, but for now we're going to set that aside and we're going to try to find the truth of the matter here and how our, our customers see it. Mm. So that leads to the next one is, you know, a piece, which is, you know, understanding your customer. And I think that one of the things that happens often is we look at customers through the lens of, you know, personas or ideal customer profile or, or some sort of, you know, structure that we've created. Yeah. And we look at a lot of data and that data really is focused on things like what do customers do? But what it doesn't tell us is why customers do the things that they do. And we need to focus on understanding the why, the drivers behind their behavior and the need for our products and services. And so when organizations become very much build first, ask, you know, second, uh, they tend to run into massive problems with this disconnect of how value is actually created for, for the end mm-hmm. customer. And sometimes that customers can be internal. So this, this happens just as frequently with internal customers um, and not having them involved in building these products that are going to enable the organization to be successful and thrive. And so this is another a common pitfall where there's, there's tremendous misalignment taking place. Yeah, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, in my experience, it's where the, the needs of that customer are just either lost sight of or not even fully understood. And somebody gets you know, carried away with, we can build this, let's do it. It'll be, you know, it, it'll be really interesting. It'll be funny. It'll be exciting. And then, yeah, like you say, it doesn't actually perform or doesn't actually create, doesn't actually build any value for the, for, for, for the customer. Um, okay. Uh, so, you know, you, you you talked to there uh, about a, a couple of things that can get in the way, and I, I'm ego, yes, massively. You know, arguably, you can see that play out in um, certain uh, political events that are taking place at this moment in time, um, <clears throat> which is probably the the, the clearest example. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, ego it gets in the way of learning, doesn't it? You can't possibly look back objectively and learn from previous experience and then, you know, play that forward into the next iteration. If ego forces you to believe or has you believing that, you know, I'm perfect and I've got it right and it's everybody else that's wrong. Yeah. I mean, it, it taps into another issue of, you know, um, you know, people just, it's, they're so invested into what they're creating and building that they tend Mm. to fall in love with that idea or that solution. (laughs) Yeah. And one of my favorite things is, you know, we have to flip that around. We have to fall in love with the problem we're solving because that problem was, we're never done solving it. Once we deliver a product, it's just that iteration of the solution. We're constantly looking to improve on that by staying true to falling in love with the problem and understand it, become that subject matter expert on that problem. We stay, more grounded and we can have a more honest perspective on how that product needs to evolve and and be Mm. driven. Mm. And that is also an invaluable asset when you think about some of the other common mistakes. I mean, and these are not made intentionally, uh, which is so interesting to me in, in doing all of this research is a lot of these foundational root cause issues are not by intention. 
they're by a, a natural evolution of, of many organizations. And so I'll give a very, you know, a poignant example to this is, is siloed knowledge. Mm. You know, as your organization is growing, you know, you have uh, experts in all of these different, you know, areas. And eventually that knowledge gets institutionalized within these different teams or these groups or individuals, or maybe you just have one person that is that subject matter expert. Yeah. And you don't have like, you lose the line of sight of who, uh, owns that information? Um, how do you distribute and democratize that information across your organization? Mm. How do you actually make that accessible uh, to people? Um, you know, and so this challenge is something that every organization faces. It's a, you know, it's not a, a technology is a great piece for helping it, but it actually comes back to more of a culture issue is do I, do I hold information? Do I really share information? Do I look for opportunities to contribute to see if it's, you know, contextually relevant? You know, how do I actually promote the environment for knowledge transfer and sharing? Mm. Um, and, and this is uh, something that, you know, I think is there's so many little tricks and tips you can build into your organization to address some of these kind of foundational issues that start to develop. Yeah. Um, so you can bring cross-functional, uh, you know, awareness into, into the product org. Um, and, and another one that I think is, is really uh, important also to, to highlight um, here is, is the, the gap of a shared, um, shared knowledge. So when we talk about siloed knowledge is one thing, but it, the other side of that is, do you have a shared understanding of the common knowledge of in the organization? And I think this is also a, a, a tremendous issue for, for many is when we talk about, for example, customer, well, the customer might be different for depending on what, who you're talking to in the organization. Yeah. So I was working with a, a client uh, not long ago where they, you know, the product team had one idea of who the customer was. The finance department, they thought the customer was the person who paid the bill. Hmm. But that's not who the product team thought is the customer because for them, the customer is the, is the person the that uses, uses the product. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, the customer uh, success team was working with another group of, of stakeholders that they thought was their customer, which weren't the end user and also weren't the person paying the bill mm. because they were providing a B2B product. And so there was multiple team facets taking place. Um, and which was only complicated by their fact of how they approach distribution of their product as well. So now they have another, they have third party partners that are also part of the equation. Yeah. So for another part of the organization, that's their customer. <laughs> and so this challenge can get, you know, uh, is just, you know, when you start to peel the layers back on it, it's like, Oh, Oh yeah, I get it. That's confusing. Uh, and it, yet we're using the same language for very different audiences that have very different needs that need to be cared for in very different ways. And so these things, you know, again, they don't happen by intention, but they happen all the time. Yeah. And you find a lot of leaders, in my experience, great leaders are spending a tremendous amount of their effort in clarifying roles, responsibilities. And basically uh, becoming that truth sayer that can say, no, when we're talking about this, this is what we need yeah. versus yeah. putting that collective power together to enable the organization. So 
you know, this is just a snapshot of a few of these challenges. Um, mm. You know, there's many more in the book, as you know, but I think that, you know, these are, these are some common things that just about every business in every industry has to struggle with. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm reminded of a, another, another piece of work, um, which I think sits very nicely sort of in, uh, in complementary to, to yours, which is the, the work of Amy Edmondson, which she did around psychological safety in organizations. And you, you talk about, you know, people uh, being willing to share, being um, uh, feeling safe enough to actually speak up and, 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 uh, and voice concerns and so on and so forth. And, you know, coming back to ego for a second, if the ego is present, then that just neutralizes it straight away and everybody shuts up. And you've got examples of brain trust groups and things like that where, you know, you you put all the uh, the bias and the uh, and, and and the ego uh, aside, leave that at the door, and you 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 do you know a full look at whatever it is that's being examined and and picked apart, but without the accusation, the blame, you know, without without the without the emotion in it, it's looked at objectively, and that that's not something which. If it's not being commonplace, that's not something that can suddenly be switched on, is it? It's something that takes time to work towards, I think. I think it's great to aim for it, but um, I don't think you can kind of expect people to turn up on, on Monday and just, ex- and, you know, they can get, they can suddenly feel safe, if you will. I think there's work that needs to be done there. Roger, I think you're hitting on something that's so important and uh, for, for everyone listening is actually profound in, in what we're talking about. I think, you know, um, Google did a project that called project Aristotle, which was a, this idea of how to research identifying, like, how do you create the best and highest performing team? Mm. And one of the, one of the critical aspects, I think it was the number one team dimension. It was, was that the work. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I know the work it's, it's a great body of work uh, on understanding the team psychology and understanding, you know, how we enable teams to create and solve problems and, and innovate. And, uh, but safety is, is the foundation there. And, and to your point about culture, it's not a switch is that, um, you know, trust is something that's earned mm-hmm. over time. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a muscle that has to be developed in the organization. And so there is no way to switch on as like, now we're going to be a trusted, you know, team organization, prove it to me, you know, show me as, uh, you know, an individual that my management and leadership listens, show me that when you listen, that you take action, show me that if you don't take action, that you communicate why we didn't take action on that thing. Mm -hmm. Was it because you didn't value the, the opinion because we don't have the resources to do it because that we know in in order to move our goals forward, we have to stay focused on this thing for now. Um, Is it going to be taken into consideration down the road? You know, there's, there's a whole feedback mechanism that has to exist within an organization for people to have that psychological safety, um, you know, at, at all times. And so there's, there's a muscle that uh, companies need to build there. Alignment is one of those incredibly powerful tools to build that trust. It, it, you know, the practice of working to build alignment um, is is a huge component to establishing 
an environment where there is trust. And so that's, you know, one of the things that we found is that leaders, and not just from my experience, but also, you know, in, in the research that we did, is that the, the, the best performing leaders are mm-hmm. ones that they do two things exceptionally well every time. They're always focused on building alignment mm-hmm. and they are incredibly in their present. They don't multitask when they're focused on you. They let <laughs> you know that you are the priority in that moment. So yeah. even if it's only a five minute thing, they're not also texting or messaging somebody else at the same time. You know, they're, they're hearing you. There's an acknowledgement and there's a feedback loop. Yeah. And because there's a feedback loop, they're doing something, whether it's in a meeting or walking through the hall, there's a process of verification taking place. You know, it's a sim- it can be sometimes as simple as them saying something, you're responding and then either, you know, basically verifying, well, this is mm. what I heard. Yeah, exactly. And so if you build that practice, that muscle, it starts to make people feel recognized. It creates a better environment of inclusivity. It helps people, uh, you know, uh, retain information better. uh, Also, you know, just from a psychological, uh, you know, um, component. And it helps people understand, yes, you've been heard. Now you've got a feedback. Now we're reinforcing that we have a shared understanding of that thing. And it has a tremendous ripple effect. I mean, it reduces meetings, it reduces rework, it reduces mm-hmm. confusion and all of these things that can take place by something as simple as that mechanism. Now, it sounds simple. Again, it's one of those hard things to do. It's a muscle, it's a skill you have to develop that enables that environment that can lead to trust and safety. I think you may just have hit upon the one key takeaway that I'll come to at the end, but let's just, let's just part that for a second. Um, so I'm curious about how alignment can help to enable underpin innovation. Um, I've got my theories, but you know, I'm here talking to you and you know, alignment better than I do. So what, what would you what would you say around how alignment can help to enable innovation? Well, I think let, let's talk about a, a common scenario. I think this is you know it's something that, that everybody can relate to. Is you know a lot of times when a company wants to innovate, um, you know what are they looking for? Are they going to innovate process? Or are they going to redefine an experience? Like where where do you start? And I think that one of the most important things that is often um, missing is a really clear vision of the destination. What are Mm -hmm. we working to achieve? And, you know, this goes back to like, what's the, either the vision for the company or the product vision. And uh, if you are a big enough organization where you have both, or you have a portfolio of products, then these things should be linked to, you know, um, intimately. And uh, the connection should be um, super, it needs to be crystal clear. Yeah. The, the challenge is, is like, what's the anatomy of, of a great, you know, product vision and what, what's the, what role does it play to enable this innovation? And so, you know, having a vision that says, you know, we need to, you know, we're going to be a $10 million, you know, uh, in, you know, annual revenue generating product that doesn't do anything for anybody. No. That, that's a lagging indicator. It doesn't help me understand. It, it's a, it's a vanity metric 
in all honesty. It, it doesn't really help build any alignment either. Um, it doesn't help anyone understand the purpose of their work, the intended resources that need to go behind that. It, it, um, it just misses the mark. And when you look at your vision from the context of how it's also often taught is it needs to be inspirational. It does, but it, mm, that's only mm. one facet of it. Um, and an inspirational goal, like being the best, you know, product in your category. Well, best by what measure best for the customer best because you have the most awards yeah. because you have the highest reviews, like define this ambiguity of best. And so leadership has a responsibility when building a, a this, uh, this culture of safety and promoting innovation is to bring in clarity to that. And I think one of the things that I love from uh, leaders that they all seem to find later in their career, this is kind of a career trajectory piece, is that they don't have to have the answer to that. It's yeah. okay to come to that process as a team and say, we need to figure out what that is. And so the anatomy of a great product vision then becomes a clear articulation of what you're working for. And it needs to be inspiring. It needs to be measurable. And it needs to articulate that destination. Mm -hmm. And so many companies will call that their North Star or what are the, you know, that, you know, that strategic, uh, that milestone. In, in their organization. And that, you know, is usually about a three to five year objective. Mm. It's a long term mm. perspective. Mm. And that becomes this incredible piece, because then what can you do when you enable innovation, you can say, okay, this is our goal. This is and if we focus from which my personal favorite approach is to do, not that there's only one right way to do it, because there's not, but is, you know, is this metric driven by our customer? So what's the benefit to the customer, the leading indicator that will enable that goal of $10 million in annual mm. revenue mm. that we can focus on? What kind of impact do we want to make in people's lives? And the value in that understanding and that clarity is now we know where we want to be and we know the impact on the people that we're trying to serve. And now what we have is we have alignment on why our work matters, because now we understand the impact of the, of our work on those on those people and how we're going to improve their lives. We understand what that looks like when we get there successfully, and then what we can do is we can start working backwards. We can start breaking this big thing down into yeah. digestible chunks, year for year, mile you know, quarter for quarter, month for month, and we can say, how do we innovate? What kinds of things can we do? And innovation takes two con considerations. It goes back to the organizational limit. What do we know better than anybody else? What are our core competencies and skills? And what resources do we have to do it? And so it doesn't mean you have to have a lot of resources to innovate. Mm. Maybe your, you know, uh, scrappiness is, is going to, a new perspective is going to drive some major innovation that's going to be completely disruptive to the rest of your, your competitive market. Absolutely fantastic. You know, and it's why so often small companies come in and disrupt big companies yeah. all the time. I mean, it's the yeah. very nature of it, but it's because they had line of sight on something specific. Um, it's not just speed, right? And so this uh, facet of alignment, um, you know, I think that that illustrates a pretty strong example of where the vision that is created around that 
how when you start to work backwards, it enables the organization, the team level, and the individual level to bring that focus necessary. Um, and candidly, you know, when we talk about OKRs, it's one of my favorite ways to reverse engineer mm. how we bring that critical focus through the organization. Yeah, that's the chunking down. It's the chunking down. You know, I, just as you were talking then, I got this visualization of, of a graph where on the y-axis you have um, uh, difficulty or rather the, the, the amount of effort that, re- that is required to achieve alignment. And uh, on, on the x-axis you've got um, size of organization. <laughs> I'm just seeing... <laughs> see this so, you know it, it, it kind of starts off fairly shallow and then it just rockets up because as you said small organizations small businesses often come in because they have that direct line of sight and that's easy to do well not not it's not a piece of cake but it's easier to do when you've got a smaller organization but you know the large corporates are it's a huge challenge, isn't it? It's a huge, huge challenge to build alignment through a large corporate. Yeah, and it's why some of the biggest companies in the world create incubators and yeah. you know other programs where they can basically remove the necessity of aligning with the larger business and all of the you know cross-functional dependencies and say, we're going to create an autonomous unit in our business who can take these opportunities with our resources Mm. of of this larger organization, but we're going to remove the constraints of of the organizational body to, to try to enable and accelerate this innovation. And so, you know, that's another, you know, that's something that, you know, large organizations have been, you know, modeling and playing with for, you know, a very long time. And, and it's also why, you know, you see a lot of organizations, it's better for sometimes for them to take the approach of to merge or acquire a small business and mm. to, to drive that innovation or to fund that business, but not bring them into the organization. They're actually extremely thoughtful investments to protect the autonomy yes. and the culture of that organization. You know, it's, um, you know, there, there are times where, you know, if you try to take the, the culture and the process of a big organization to this smaller organization, it would cripple its innovation. It's, yes. it's too fragile. Yeah. And so you want to protect those people. You want to protect that, that safe environment um, and that ability to iterate quickly. Um, but now they can do it capitalized or, you know, with, with access to maybe new tools or insights that, that was never possible before. And I think this is a, a really good example um, is actually in AI right now is that, you don't have to be capitalized uh, to leverage AI. I mean, it's this incredibly easily accessible technology. Mm. You just have to have a good use case for it where it actually creates value. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the great thing about how some of these technologies evolve is they, they become enabling components for innovation. And so I think, you know, right now it, it's all the buzz for, for many different and important reasons, but I think the true innovation that's going to be coming is, is actually um, we haven't even seen, seen it yet. I mean, the real impact is, is, is coming quick, but it's, it's, it's far beyond the generative AI that we're, that is being focused on right now. And it's incredibly exciting um, to see what kind of innovations and thoughtful 
decisions are made by these small and large companies as they mm. you know explore what's possible. Yeah, I mean, I'll get off my soapbox about large corporates in a second, um, but I think it's a shame that they generally don't do a great job at building alignment through their organization, or if they do, they just try and force it. Because I'd argue that there is an inbuilt need within us all to feel a sense of alignment. You know, it it, it goes towards instilling a sense of meaning and purpose, you know, it, which is really important for a lot of people. And in particular for the for the younger generations coming into the workplace now all the data tells us that you know in terms of them feeling like they're having an impact is on a par if not more important than than their remuneration so you know i i think it's and also i remember back to my days when i was working in in, in corporate and i i made it huge huge part of my uh of, of my role to ensure that every single person that was working for me understood how, the, the the value of their contribution and what they were doing and and the you know the impact that that would have four five six seven eight connections down the value chain um and yeah so i i i think it's I think I, I i i absolutely buy into alignment in so many different ways and i think I think I think it's just a shame that corporates seem to have this inertia that that really kind of causes a drag on on uh, on getting really effective alignments in place. Well, it's the bigger the organization, the challenge just exponentially gets yeah exactly you know, it gets hard, it gets harder, and yeah. so it's it's um you know I think it's it's true. There's there's more misalignment in larger companies than anywhere else. Mm. Um, there's also a need for more process and structure than anywhere else. And so yeah. it's, it's a real challenge. And unfortunately the, you know, um, if I could wave a magic wand, I would have alignment be taught in every business school program <laughs> in, in the world. Um, you know, and, and ironically you talk about kind of the, the individual, the human need, especially for the younger workforce. I mean, you're tapping into something that is, is also backed by countless, you know, other sources of research far beyond, you know, my own, in um, that, uh, you know, people do want to understand how their work matters. Mm-hmm. They want to understand. It's an incredibly key piece of alignment when you think yeah. about acquiring great talent and their desire to stay with you, to yeah. stick it out, to solve the hard problems and to see the results of their work versus just hopping to the next, you know, job or opportunity. And th- it's actually fascinating because, um, I met an incredible uh, uh, neuroscientist uh, while at London Business School several years ago. He shared with me, you know, from his own research uh, and uh, efforts, you know, really, um, he wrote a book called Alive at Work. It's a f- fantastic book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how there's actually a, not just a psychological, but a biological component in how our brain chemistry works that seeks alignment. Yeah. We seek organization. We seek meaning. We yep. seek structure. And, and, you know, and he really broke down for me that alignment is, is just, is truly far beyond psychological, but there's like, there's biological component in our, in our makeup yep. as human beings that seeks this out cause and effect, you know? And so, 
it's important to understand that by building alignment, we're actually enabling the most basic root elements of ourselves in a modern world. Absolutely. We really have to focus on that. And organizational leaders can be so empowered if they understand the, what they're really tapping into with, with this principle. It goes beyond, well beyond you know, feeling like you're a member of a team. It goes directly into, I understand my place, my role, my part, my contribution, my relationships. And, and, and that sense of belonging has been hardwired into us since, you know, primeval days. Um, uh, so yeah, I completely get that. I've been a big fan of, um, David Rock and his work through the Neuro Leadership Institute for many years. So yeah, I, I, I get the biological uh, angle on this. Um, yeah. So yeah. What, but just, just before we move on to my final question about the one key takeaway, um, what you were just saying there just triggered again, triggered something for me. Um, we do in, for some clients, we do a measurement of their culture, which may sound a bit strange because culture's, you know, quite nebulous and difficult to pin down, but everybody feels it though. Um, and we use this set of tools. They're, they're, they're not ours. They belong to um, an organization called the Barrett Value Center, but they have a really, really interesting measure, headline measure that comes out of their um, uh, the, 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 the analysis that their tools do. And they call it cultural entropy. And it's, hmm. it, 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 it basically, it's the amount of wasted energy that's present within the organization. Okay. So they do this by looking at the presence of uh, certain values, certain potentially limiting values, things like bureaucracy, you know, excessive cost control, those sorts of things. Not always bad. There is sometimes a need, but if it's too much of, you know, too much of anything is obviously, is, is often a, a bad, a bad thing. But with these, you know, the threshold for too much is actually quite low. You want to see very little of it. So, um, yeah, you know, I was just kind of reflecting on what you were saying a moment ago about things that can get in the way. And, and, you know, we talked earlier about shaping how, you know, it's a huge part of the project manager's role to help shape culture in, in, you know, in, in their area of responsibility. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's, there's kind of this, like I said, this principle of cultural entropy. And I just think, I think that's something which if it's high, I'd put money on alignment being low, (laughs) quite simply, quite simply. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I've, when I meet people and and discussing alignment and they're sharing their stories with me, and that's one of my favorite things uh, about you know, traveling is is getting to hear people's stories and just, you know, learning about their own experiences. You know, it's one particular uh, gentleman shared with me about how his leadership actually came into a meeting and said, forget alignment. We don't need to be talking to each other. We just need to get stuff done. (laughs) And, you know, it's the irony of that the idea of you can have no miss, not have alignment and just gets and get stuff done faster is, is ironic. And, um, so I, I reached out to the, this gentleman a few months later, I said, how's that going? And he said, we are slogging through the muck, 
trying to get unstuck as an organization and mm-hmm. it's never been more contentious. Our culture is one of, uh, you're only valued if, if you're getting, you know, um, deliverables out the door, whether they have any value or not. Oh God. And God. you know, it's like, okay, well, what's, what's next for, for yeah. you? And he's like, I'm looking, you know, yeah. and, you know, for his next opportunity. It's just, it's unfortunate, you know, and these things happen all the time and not realizing, you know, that, that kind of authoritarian leadership of coming in and like, we're, we don't need to do this. We need to do it this way. It's like, Mm. you know, again, um, you know, what drives that? And Mm. Mm. these issues of, is it ego? Well, behind ego could be fear, Mm. a feeling of imposter syndrome, all all these things that come up, um, you know, uh, and so we, you know, this is human nature. And I think that, you know, when we think about alignment, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the best of us and con- and making sure it's connecting in our organizations. Yeah. And it's, it's not, again, I, I I've said this multiple times that, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard work. And so that, that hard work though has just such an incredible payoff. And I have never seen, an aligned organization that doesn't make me want to jump in and get to work with them <laughs> faster though. Yeah. It, it is one of the most enthralling things to even just observing uh, a team, you know, who is uh, in motion. I mean, it's, it is, it is watching that symphony play at their best. It it's is like, it's absolutely the timing, the communication, the symmetry, you know, there's, there's, if they're struggling, they're struggling together. Mm-hmm. And you know that the solution they come up with is going to be brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so wonderful to watch. And I have to say with, with even my, my, in my own organization, when I see our teams in that, you know, that moment, um, that's when I know that I'm, I'm doing something right. I mean, that is the measure of success for me is, is leadership is, you know, the level of that, that alignment in the organization. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when it's, when it when it's working really well, yeah. Okay, Jonathan, we've taken the lid off alignment, and I think we've dived in pretty deep on this. So I'm just going to come in with my with my last question, and that is for our listeners: What would you offer as your one takeaway around alignment? I think that one, hmm, just one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well. I, I think I would like everybody to take uh, away that it's all of our responsibility to build alignment and we can focus on building alignment at no matter where we sit in the organization around us with our own behavior and intention. And if that's the one thing that, that you're able to do, if your organization is struggling with this lead by example, leaders Mm -hmm. are not based on titles. They're not based on where you sit in the org chart. They're based on how you present yourself and people that are willing to engage with you and follow. And so, you know, start those conversations, reconciling, do we have a shared understanding of these things? Build a common language and understanding um, and strengthen those muscles of empathy uh, and understanding so you can connect and challenge the things that are missing that are holding you back. If the organization doesn't have a clear product vision, work with the organization to do that, you know, and, you know, come to your leaders and, you know, say, Hey, this is something that I think we can 
we need to bring definition to to make sure we can make better decisions that we can work more effectively together you can be that champion um and start start small start where you can and if you can do that um i think you'll you'll find that you have an incredible opportunity in front of you well i i loved your um little tip that you gave um a little earlier on you know if you're in that conversation reflect back um what you feel you've heard because it demonstrates that people you know you, you are listening and people feel heard and it just like you say there's a rip i think you said the words you used with there's a ripple effect and that's absolutely true it's it's something which i was taught 15 20 years ago and it, it was it was a big big um, it was a very small change that made a very, very big difference. It's one of those little golden nuggets that actually gave you a really good payback. Really good payback. So, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite little things. And you're, you're right, <laughs> spot on. It's yeah. just to, it's to feel to make people feel heard and acknowledged is um, and the value you get from those conversations and where they can take you is is absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us um, all the way from San Francisco. Uh, And uh, I'd just like to say thank you to everybody who has uh, tuned in to this episode of Giant Talk. Uh, You shall be uh, able to tune in to the next episode in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes peeled on your podcasts platform of choice and uh, we shall pop up in your list very soon take care now